what it mean to me. Capital, go and make that history. I got a couple scholars to the left of me. Welcome to GWSB Proud, a podcast all about why are you proud of GWSB. My name is Liesl Riddle, and I am the Associate Dean for Graduate Programs here at George Washington University School of Business. And I have the great pleasure of sitting down with GW alumni, faculty, staff, and students to hear why they are GWSB Proud. Welcome to GWSB Proud. Today in the podcast studio, I am joined by a very inspirational alumni from GWSB, Leslie Howard. Leslie, thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Liesl. So Leslie is, is the founding partner of a law firm called Cohen Howard. But before we get in too much into that, I want you to really appreciate something that, that I'm very inspired by uh, when I was talking to Leslie. You know, I think in the moment that we're in right now in the world, there are so many people ex- experiencing set unexpected setbacks, trauma, loss, and trying to grapple with how to make sense of that. In, in their life, how to find meaning in that in their life. And when I was talking to Leslie today, it, was really, it really struck me that she has this great story that I wanted to share with you about how something like that, something very, very unexpected and stressful really became her aha moment. Um, and I think a lot of that is because quite honestly, Leslie has the entrepreneurial mindset. She has a way of looking at problems that I think we all can learn from. So, Leslie, tell us a little bit about that aha moment story. Uh, sure. Um, so, I have, as we were talking, I've always been an entrepreneur. I've always thought creatively. I've always looked for gaps. Um, what's missing? What can I take advantage of? Um, so, when my son was three years old, um, he suddenly stopped growing, and it took about a year, year and a half of exploring uh, with uh, a lot of doctors as to what was going on. And, and, and thankfully, so we were able to get a diagnosis that was uh, curable or at least manageable. And so he was diagnosed both with celiac disease, where he just had to change his diet, and what's called idiopathic short stature. Now, idiopathic short, short stature is a condition that they can't really explain medically but a person just stops growing. There's no growth growth hormone um, uh, translation between your pituitary and your your hypothalamus to get technical. Um, And so my husband and I were elated. And so we uh, applied for the medicine um, and then we found out it was denied as not being medically necessary because it was idiopathic stature and there's no medical explanation, they were not going to cover it. So I had two choices. One was to become a millionaire overnight because it was about $4,000 a month, which was definitely not an option. Or the second was to fight. And as a mother, obviously I was going to fight. But what I found was navigating through the chaos of the insurance industry, which was the first time I had to do this, And I'm pretty good at beating systems and understanding systems and trying to figure out what were my rights and what did I have to do 
and who did I have to communicate was really painstaking. Um, it was frustrating. I can't tell you how many times I shed tears. Um, but I finally did get him approved. And um, today he stands at five, eight and a half. Um, and as I was telling you before, that was sort of my aha moment in life, because Mm -hmm. I realized if I'm going through this, many, many people are going through this. And if I had to go through the pain of it, there's a lot of pain out there. Um, so what I did was I approached a friend of mine who was a plastic and reconstructive surgeon, um, who had at one point been looking for a, a lawyer to go in house. And I said, is, you know, is the job still available? And it was. And so I went, um, and learned really the medical field by representing, uh, plastic and reconstructive surgeons who are out of network. Uh, and I'll explain that to you a little bit further. And we go after the insurance companies to try to get them reimbursements for both them and their, and on behalf of their patients. Mm. Um, so just to explain a little bit about what is an out-of-network uh, surgeon and the difference between that and the health insurance field. So um, most people will, will want the peace of mind to be able, when they have a serious illness, a complex illness, to be able to choose the doctor of their choice. And that's called out-of-network benefits. Those are doctors who don't take uh, your benefits in-network. And most insurance is designed to have a percentage that the patient is responsible for and the doctors and the insurance company is responsible for. So if, God forbid, you have, uh, and we do a lot of breast reconstruction, and if you have breast cancer and you get a mastectomy and you want your breast reconstructed, and the doctor tells you it's going to be $20,000 and you have what's called coinsurance and yours is, let's say 20% is going to be your responsibility. 80% is going to be the insurance company's responsibility. The consumer thinks they're going to pay $4,000 and that's a lot of money for most people, but they put it away. When they get their bill, unfortunately, many, many, many times the insurance company says, no, actually we just cover $1,000 and you consumer are responsible for the $19,000. And so we're helping to try to get insurance companies to pay more money for what's really outright uh, owed to our, our clients and, and to the patient. So are, is it the patient, are the patients themselves coming to you? Are they your, your market or are these physicians that are coming to you? So the way it works is um, because these are such expensive um, and skilled surgeons that they will hire us on behalf and on behalf of the patient to mm-hmm. help them with the collection. Now you have to understand the doctors that I represent, uh, which are breast surgeons, thoracic surgeon, maxillofacial surgeons, spinal surgeons, um, who really do very uh, uh, complex surgeries. They will operate on, and and this is where the political climate today, I think, is a problem. They will operate on anybody. And and they're in an industry where they have no idea how much they're going to be paid. This is not resolved in the beginning. This is after surgery, yet they move forward and they, they still practice medicine and they still care for their patients. So they don't want the patients having the burden of having to worry about the finances. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They take that away from the patient. They want the patient to heal. 
And we take away from the doctor the burden of having to collect and recover money so that they can practice medicine. So it's really we're working kind of in conjunction with the patient and the, the doctor, but we're really being hired by the surgeon. It sounds like it's very, very challenging work. Yes. But also rewarding. Is that right? Very rewarding. Um, you know, especially when we stand on ceremony sometimes. I mean, there's many times that, uh, well, just even to back up, most of my company or law firm is comprised of 90% women. So, you know, there is that really compassionate aspect that comes here where we're like, I don't need to get paid. I just need to get this done. We've had cases where uh, a a little girl from um, uh, Puerto Rico came um, uh, for a cleft palate operation. It was a team of doctors. I mean, a, a team, five, six doctors, and my doctor got paid absolutely nothing. Now, this was Medicaid, so he was never going to make big money, but he got paid nothing. Mm-hmm. And we just fought it for the sake of fighting it. Um, we've gotten phone calls from uh, people sometimes that just need help. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we don't stand on ceremony when it's something that just should be done. Um, so we're constantly trying to help patients and and really the providers and really the providers to stay in business today because we're seeing um, a a, uh, a migration of doctors, especially in the plastic and reconstructive world where I can really speak uh, uh, from observation that are going into um, self-pay cosmetic. Uh, type of practices because they can't make a living. And I had a conversation with um, a doctor in San Diego a couple of years ago. And he said to me, listen, you know, I'm worried for myself because I'm worried when I get older and I need Mm. healthcare, there's not going to be qualified doctors out there to take care of me. And I, you know, I, as a walked away in fear, fear for my, for my, uh, for my kids, fear for my family, fear for women, fear for our country. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it's something that, uh, we need to realize as a country that there's no good and bad, the insurance, bad insurance companies, bad doctors. It's, it's a broken system that really needs to be righted. Um, in so many ways, and it's so complicated, it's not an easy answer. I think the story is so interesting for a variety of reasons, and not the least of which is the, uh, you know, as I said, just sort of the impressiveness of being in that sort of moment where you're actually terrified for your child and desperate to try to find the resources Um, to help them grow. There's nothing like, you know, challenges with young ones and not growing, you know, Um, and yet you were able to turn that into this incredible entrepreneurial idea and grow and nurture it and sort of fill this important role in, in in the industry. And it makes me wonder, you know, what is it about your background or your personality, do you think, that enables you to have that type of resilience and have that type of creativity in such a moment? Yeah, I mean, I I, I think it started at a very young age. Um, I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit. I I used to take um, 
handfuls of nickels and I would go down to my, my garage and I would take a hammer and I would hammer the nickels and it would probably take 15, 20 minutes per nickel to get it to the size that I wanted. And then after a couple hours, I would go upstairs and I'd say to my parents, can you drive me down the Garden State Parkway, which was a toll parkway, and so that I could throw my newly minted nickels that were now quarter sizes into the 25 cent toll basket. So um, I probably shouldn't be telling you this because you're sitting in a jurisdiction that's governed by the federal government, but I'm pretty sure I'm past the statute of limitations for uh, destruction of, uh, of uh, coins. But the point is, is that I made 20 cents every yeah. time I got a nickel that was the size of a quarter. So I think I've always had the fascination of, of business. Um, I've always been a person who likes to fill in the gaps, right? I'm always looking for what's the gap. Uh, for example, when I graduated law school, um, I, I took the very straight path. I, I took the career path of um, going to a big law firm. I made money. I was able to pay off my student loans. I thought that I'm set for life. And then really shortly thereafter, I realized I'm not part of this corporate culture. I'm, I felt stifled with my creativity of being able to think outside of the box. And so after I kind of honed my craft, I left and I discovered that at that point that there was a part of litigation that's called discovery and where you go through thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of documents. And you know, you sit in a, a room with other associates, all young, and we call it the war room. And it would cost clients a fortune because we're billing at high New York rates at that time. So I took that and I, I realized, let me take that out of the law firm mm-hmm. and offer it to corporations at a much more discount price. And I, it is an industry today. Um, for me, that was probably my first failure because it was a really big idea for a really small person. Um, but I find that, and I think especially, and I tell my kids this, and I think young people today, you know, you can look at failure in, in certain ways. You can look at failure and get so discouraged and paralyzed by it that you decide to take the safe route. Mm-hmm. Or you can look at failure as an opportunity for your next venture. Um, and I, I just recently had a conversation with a, a girlfriend of mine who actually said to me, you know, I don't think you've ever realized you really failed. Like you're just, that's not even in your mind. That's just your genetic makeup is to just keep going and trying. Um, I think COVID is a, a great example. I've been observing so many creative businesses that have popped up. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and those, that's the entrepreneurial spirit. I mean, that's, you know, you got to do what you can. And, um, and, and so that to me, that's been the, the good part of uh, that, that if there's any good part of COVID, but that has been the most interesting is just watching how people are creatively coming up with ideas to survive. Well, and also you've had that resilience at, at home. You mentioned also you have a, a daughter that's also a GW student. Tell us a little bit about her and what her experience has been like. Yeah, I mean, I am uh, really proud of her. She's a, a communications major. Um, she's also, she, she's uh, incredibly determined. Um, I think she's surpassed me in determination. Um, she's got the, that very creative slant she's writing right now or trying to get into 
She wants to be a, a communicate. She wants to be a um, political communications and fashion and put those two together. Oh, wow. Um, so she's been writing for the GW local. She's written last year. She wrote 10 articles and uh-huh. she said to me, mom, I haven't written enough yet, you know, to get a blog going. I got to keep writing these articles. So it's a very interesting, it's interesting to watch her and our similarities in, 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 you know, paths. And, and yeah. I've always told my kids, you know, a career is a journey and the most interesting people you're ever going to read about is the people and the most successful people you're ever going to read about is look at their CVs, look at what they've done because most of them have not gone from a, a linear path. They, they, they take a journey just like I did. You know, I went from, you know, outsourcing documents to going, I went into, became a law firm um, and, and practiced for a while real estate. And then I decided I wanted to do immigration law. So I picked up the yellow pages, which definitely none of you students know what that is, but that's the equivalent of Google back in the day. And I looked at, uh, I went down to the yellow pages. I looked under the immigration lawyer headings and I called every immigration lawyer. I said, I'm a young attorney. Um, I, I'd like to learn immigration law. I'm looking for a mentor and I got a call back. And, and so for years wow. I practiced immigration law. So I think Uh, as I tell my daughter all the time, you just have to kind of look for the moment, take that aha moment and turn your idea into an opportunity. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the other things I think is a theme that comes out of this too, is, you know, connecting the dots, you know, filling the gaps, connecting the dots, you know, that is such an important role for, entrepreneurs to play. And it's hard to do when you live a linear life, right? You don't see the world with the same lenses as someone who has jumped around, gotten in different types of people's shoes, has a diverse network and has a diverse set of experiences, you know, to call on. Not to mention the fact, I think every time you move into something new, that, you know, there it's a risk, right? And so you get almost you know, you develop those risk muscles, right, in a way that when a great opportunity, you know, comes along, you're now really ready to fully seize the moment because you've gained that sort of confidence in an experience in risk taking before. Well, you know, Leslie, I mean, I just have so enjoyed this conversation. And I know our listeners have as well. I mean, you're, it's a very inspirational story. It's a really cool, I think, insight into what real entrepreneurship really is, is all about. It's not easy, certainly not linear, um, yeah. but it, it really, a lot of it is the mindset that you put. And I think that's all a very important lesson for all of us now in the COVID, COVID period. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I look at it and something I've also told my kids, it's, it's, like, a, it's like a relationship, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, you have, you might love someone, or really like someone, but the timing may be off. Mm-hmm. That's that's also careers. You may have a great idea, um, but your timing may be off. So it doesn't mean that you failed. It means that those two things didn't come together, that you have the opportunity to always come back, or you have the opportunity to find another opportunity. The idea is put ideas into action. Those are entrepreneurs. Um, and I, I think that's mm-hmm. really an, an important lesson that young people should 
should um, learn. And I think that they should never feel stuck in, in life. That there is no such thing as being stuck. Just keep your mind open. I mean, my, my company in itself is about 90% women. Um, we are more, I have more people from the medical discipline and insurance industry than I do uh, lawyers and, and paraprofessionals. Mm. And we, the one thing that I've always done is I've always recognized I know what I know and I, I know what I don't know. And when you put that ego aside and you let people know that, people come with you to ideas. We encourage people to give us their ideas. We encourage people to give us their knowledge. Um, to, 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 we try things out. Yeah, maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't work out. But for, and for my particular industry, because the insurance industry is always changing their strategies, it mm -hmm. gives us the flexibility to change along with them. So I think it's really important to feel like you have a voice to ask questions. Um, the smartest people I've always find are the people who ask me the most questions. I really do. Yeah, well, that comes with, I think, that same sort of mentality of willing to take risks. Great questions for a lot of people. I mean, those are risks. And to, and to admit that you don't know something is also for a lot of people, it is a risk. So I think all of those things sort of speak to the importance of everyday risk-taking even on a small scale, because again, it's using those muscles, building those muscles so that when the real big opportunity comes along, you can, you can really, you can really seize it. Well, thank you again so much for joining us in the, in the podcast uh, studio today. It was really great having you on the show. Oh, my pleasure. It was great being here. That's all for this episode. Thanks for listening today. Shout out for music credit to Plantain Poppy, also known as Michael Ferrier, GW Class of 2020. See you next time to learn more ways we are GWSB proud. Chicken and they boost when the team come through. I had to hell to the buff, hell to the blue. Chicken and they boost when the team come through, come through. Cheetah, what it mean to me? Capital, go and make that history. I got a couple scholars to the left of me. Buff and blue, so you know they need my test for me.